Now, an hour of clarity for exhausted people of our nation mired in toxic partisanship. Left versus right, us versus them. While we pay to keep our politicians fighting, how do we the people rise up and solve the great challenges of our time? We do it by embracing freedom and liberty. There may be no such thing as a free lunch, but this hour is as close as it gets. Welcome to A Free Solution. All right, welcome to A Free Solution. I'm Kevin Wilson here yesterday, joined by Tim the Freedom Marion O'Connor. He, he's with us, I swear. He, he just He's moving a little bit slower today, but Tim the Freedom Marion O'Connor is in fact with us. Uh, thanks for joining us here on A Free Solution, wherever you're listening, whether you're listening on WYSL on the Thursday evening broadcast or the live broadcast on A Free Solution Facebook page, YouTube channel, uh, the Kevin Wilson pages, the Tim O'Connor pages, wherever you are today. Appreciate y'all being here. And we have a guest this show as well. We have Lars Mapstead, who is a candidate running for the Libertarian nomination for president. Lars, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. I, I liked your introduction. It it um, it kind of resonated with exactly why I'm running for president. Fantastic. Well, let's let's start uh, with that. Why yeah. are you running for president? Yeah, you know, I was watching uh, in the the uh, the riots happen right, the George Floyd riots across the country, and and the cities were burning across the country, and and I realized there was a lot of pissed off people, and then. I watched the January January six uh, activities, and I realized there was a lot of pissed off people. And it and I realized that it didn't matter if you were on the left or the right. Everybody in America is angry right now, and I all my friends are all pissed off, and they're all shouting down and yelling at the at each other about how things are broken and how the system is rigged against everybody. And I just realized there's nobody like coming out with good solutions to fix these problems that they, they just keep pointing the fingers at each other and the problems just keep getting worse. And we keep electing the same uh, cycle over and over again and expecting different results. And people are sick and tired of being sick and tired. They want something different. And so I just couldn't sit idly by anymore. I had to come in and try to unrig the system. And, and the more I got into running for president, the more I realized that the system is just completely rigged from the very foundation. From the very basic, our whole voting system is rigged against us, right? And how can we have a free and fair republic if the foundation that we're built on is not trustworthy, right? And so that's kind of become my mission is to unrig the system. And and when I say that the system is rigged, I'm sure something pops into your minds and something pops into your listeners' minds because the system is rigged against everybody in some way, shape, or form, right? And we need to get that system unrigged. We got to take away the power from the politicians and give it back to the people where it belongs because the politicians work for us. We don't work for the politicians. Right on. All right. I mean, that's a lofty goal. Like, I'm mad. Tim's mad. A lot of people are mad. It, it's yep. it's it's a it's a tough thing to tackle. So how how are yeah. you going to be able to do that though? Specifically, what tell us a little bit about more about your background and how are you going to make an impact and help help us get out of the doom cycle that we're in the the, the bipartisan doom cycle that we have right now that's kind of destroying our politics and, and and culture in some ways in the United States. Yeah. So I grew up really poor. I grew up, in fact, with no electricity and an outhouse. Okay. And somewhere along the way, I discovered inter uh, the internet and computers and that I had a knack for marketing. And so I went literally from no electricity to becoming a computer guy. Right. And I start, I was just happened to be in the right place at the right time when the internet came along. 
and I started a whole bunch of internet companies, uh, you know, over deck over a couple decades, and that kind of culminated with a company called FriendFinder Networks, which is large dating websites that uh, people use to you know to find. Um, husbands and wives and, and various, you know, partners and that sort of thing. And so I ended up selling that company for, you know, a big chunk of money. We were doing uh, $350 million a year in sales and had 600 or so employees. And um, yeah, so that's sort of a little bit about my background. And, you know, I just, uh, one of the things that I found is running for president as a libertarian was that the whole system is rigged against any, anybody that doesn't have an R or a D next to their name has a really hard time of even getting on the ballot, right? And I, all my life, I, it seemed like the only choices I had for president was Clinton or Bush, Clinton or Bush, Clinton or Bush. And and I even remember, I thought it was going to be Hillary Clinton versus Jeb Bush. That's how cynical I had become, right? I was like, Almost. oh, and I was like, we don't have, I realized somewhere along the way that we don't have choice. We have the illusion of choice, that these people are handpicked for us before we ever get to the voting booth, right? The fact that we might have Donald Trump and Joe Biden again as the top two candidates for us to vote for should make everybody wake up and take notice and say something isn't right because nobody likes these guys, right? They're literally voting for them because they're afraid the other guy is going to win. And that, is, that shouldn't be the way we vote in America. We should be voting on principle. We should be voting for things that make our lives better. And we like I said, it's just the illusion of choice. And I want to kind of end that. Uh, and, and part of that is fixing our rigged election system. Uh, there's a whole bunch of things like ending gerrymandering. I don't think we should have primaries. Uh, right now, the primaries, basically the, the uh, public pays for the Democrats and the Republicans primary. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, and, but like 35 or 40% of Americans aren't Democrat or Republican, they're independent or third party. So why as a taxpayer, do we have to pay for these private corporations primary system? Right. I feel like it should be open primaries and that we should have a lot of choices. I'm, I'm for getting a lot more choice on the ballot. And that, and one of those things that does that is a thing called ranked choice voting, which has been being adopted in various States, Oregon, Alaska and Maine all have ranked choice voting and a lot of cities and counties and states are like looking to implement that. And that just opens the playing field up so that we don't only have two choices when it comes to uh, election day in November. Real quick, can you explain what ranked choice voting is in case any sure. of our listeners haven't yeah. heard of it? Yeah. So essentially right now we have uh, voting where you just basically vote for one guy and whoever gets to, you know, 50, 51%, of course, the electoral vote is soon. They, if whoever gets to 270 wins, right? But with ranked choice voting, you get to pick your first uh, person and then you get to pick a second person and a third person and so on and so forth. And essentially what happens is it allows for people to pick the one that everybody wants, not necessarily the one that is like the top of the line, because right now you could have a situation where only like 25% of the people vote for somebody and they win. Right. And we want to have a system where at least 51% of the people are voting in order to select who who's going to be. Otherwise you're just allowing a small group of people to run roughshod over the rest of the people. That's right. Yeah. Plurality rule or first past to post voting is what we have. It's it's yep. single member districts in most places. So yeah, you don't need a doesn't need a majority of folks to at least say like, yeah, it's okay, even if that guy's my third choice. Like, no, no, it's it can be a small minority of folks who even bother to show up and vote. Cause it, again, there's also folks who just don't bother because they don't think they have any choices on the ballot. And specifically, and now I get to uh one of these questions that we got in New York State, we have some unique challenges with ballot access. We had ballot access after Larry Sharp uh, did uh, great in the 2018 election. Uh, 
And then they switched the rules on us. Andrew Cuomo said, well, we're going to do some ballot reform stuff, campaign finance reform. And now they raised the threshold and made the qualifications every two years and increased the threshold for how many votes we need to get to stay on the ballot. And to that end, uh, one of the concerns I know libertarians in New York State have, this is from Sean Hannon out in the Syracuse area, who's a a party leader out that way, says in New York State, we need 130,000 presidential votes to regain ballot access. Do you have a get out the vote plan to help secure ballot access in states like New York? Yeah, I'm I'm literally working with Larry Sharp on gaining ballot access in New York. I, I donated. He had a fundraiser a few a little bit back and I helped donate to that and help raise money for that. I did a, a matching contribution. Uh, yeah, ballot access is is ridiculous. I feel like uh, that's one of the big ways that the system is rigged. Right. Why should a Democrat or Republican have a different rules? than I do or some other person to get on the ballot, right? Like, I think it should be equal across the board. Whatever the rule is for the Democrat and the Republican, it should be the same for an independent candidate or a third-party candidate. There shouldn't be different rules for different groups of people. That is the definition of a rigged system. Two tiers of of levels of activity, uh, you know, different for the people who are in power than the ones who are not. And that is exactly the kind of system that I want to unrig. Right on. All right. Um, So... Thanks for that answer. And Tim, I, I want to give you a chance to jump in. I, you're, I don't know if you're, you're doing all right here, but feel free to jump in anytime. Otherwise, I'm going to just keep rattling off questions. Yeah. Is, is my mic working, guys? Can you hear me? Yep. Yeah, we're good. hearing you, Tim. Yeah. Yeah, go for it. All right. So, Lars, my question would be, what's your specific plan to, to bring this this concept to fruition? Like, we don't have answers. We fought this battle. We lost. What are you going to do different than everybody else has already done? Yeah. Well, of course, it's it's all very challenging as an independent, can, a third party candidate, right? To to make effective change. Uh, but one of the things that I'm working on right now is winning an electoral vote. Okay. Uh, it hasn't been done for the Libertarian Party since 1972, and that was a rogue elector. So no one's really ever won an electoral vote as a Libertarian. And I, I'm a marketing guy. Uh, you know, I have like 25 million fans on different pages on Facebook. I'm, that's what I do. That's like I'm a social media guy, right? And I started looking around and I realized that there's a couple of states that split up their electoral vote. And I realized that those, those electoral votes are represented by only 600,000 people, okay? And in Riverside County, uh, we had uh, Jeff Hewitt got elected. And he, and he represented a couple million people in Riverside County. So I know that it's possible to win and th- with that size of an election. And I think that it's totally doable. So what I want to do is put libertarians on the map in 2024, show that we are a uh, political party that can you know move, move and shake, right? And that we need to be taken seriously. So I'm trying to push us forward so that we can have more voice in the system. And, and then I'm trying to just educate people on this whole uh, rig system. Like for instance, I live in California and California, because we have winner take all States where, where essentially whoever gets 51% of the vote in the state, all the electors go to that winner. Right? So 49% of the people are disenfranchised, right? In California, half the state is red and half the state is blue, but there's a lot more blue people than there are red people. Right? So all the people who vote red, their vote doesn't matter. The only people whose vote matters in America is people who live in a battleground state. Right. And so there's basically seven states. If you don't live in one of those states, your vote for president essentially doesn't matter. Right. And so what I'm looking at proportional representation, where we essentially allow for each group, each area 
to vote. Um, and they do that in Maine, as an example, right? They have two two congressional districts and they break it up. And so they get they have kind of a red district and a blue district, and they each get a say in where their electoral vote goes. And I think that that is something that could be implemented across America that would give voice back to people because there's people that just feel like their voice, their voice doesn't matter. Their vote doesn't matter. They're disenfranchised. And so they don't even bother to show up at the polls. Right. And I think that's a disservice to America. People should feel like they have buy into the system and that they're part of the system and that they can affect change. Because if you don't feel that, you just you feel disillusioned and you feel defeated. Right. And so you don't even bother to try to change things. Yeah. And, and you end up with apathy and uh, then the bureaucrats and the politicians are able to just keep doing whatever they do without accountability. That's how exactly. And uh, all right. So today. Shifting a little bit, though, I, I want to get into the, some of the issues like much of our WYSL audience. I, I would say they, they run fairly conservative. They're, they're folks who often vote Republican, conservative party. Sometimes they'll switch ticket but uh, or split ticket, but often they, they tend to vote in that direction. Why yeah. should they consider someone like you? Should you get the libertarian nomination for president and be on the ballot in 2024? Yeah, well, I mean, New York is exactly like California, right? In New York. Uh, if you're a Republican, your vote essentially doesn't matter for president because it's going to be voting blue no matter what, right? The Democrats, it, it's going to go blue. And 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 I have this uh, thing. I say, you know, imagine on election night, they're going across the map and California is blue, Texas is red, Florida is red, New York's blue. And then they're like, what is this gold on the map? What the hell is this? They, they, and imagine if we were the deciding factor on election night and we caused the election to go one way or another, right? They Their minds would just explode and they would be talking about all the time. But so if you're sick and tired of the system the way that it is, and you're a Republican living in a blue state where your vote essentially doesn't matter, you should vote for a libertarian or a third party just to send a message that we're fed up with the system. We're fed up with the way the system is rigged, right? It, it just doesn't matter how you vote, unfortunately, right? Unless you live in one of these few battleground states. And I think that's a rigged system and it's, it's horrible for America. It's horrible for the people. Yeah, right on. Tim, giving you another shot to, to ask a question, man. Yeah, I, I no, couldn't no. agree more. Yeah, no, Lars, I couldn't agree more. I'm, I'm concerned that people are too jaded and too invested in this binary decision-making that we've got going on. We've, we've tried to persuade them. We've cajoled them. We've talked to them. We've begged them. We've pleaded with them. What's the trick here? What's going to make this this change? That's I know yeah. it's a tough question. I'm pulling for yeah. you, but it's a question I got to ask. I think I think most people don't realize that their vote kind of doesn't matter, right? And that's and that's why I'm just trying to educate people that like literally I'm sure there's people in New York that are like I'm voting for Trump, I'm voting for DeSantis, I'm voting for whoever the red guy is because we can't let Joe Biden get another term, right? I'm I'm certain that there's people like that. And what I'm telling you is if you live in New York and you're a red voter, your vote doesn't matter because 100% of the electoral votes are going to go to the the blue candidate, right? That's it. And so it it really your vote your vote is essentially thrown away unless you live in one of these seven states, right? So my message is if you ever want to get out of this system that we're in, you have to vote differently and send a message to Washington that we're done. We're done playing this game. We're done playing the duopoly. And I think there's a lot of people that vote red and blue who feel like even their own party isn't representing them 
but they just don't want to let the other guy in. And that's what they're voting against. Yeah. They're not voting for their party to do something good for them. They're just trying to keep the other guy out. And that's no way to live. Right. And that's no way to push America forward. We have to come with better principled candidates yeah. with better messaging that care for working people that care. Like these guys don't care. They're like they're elites of Washington, essentially. And they just care about getting reelected and getting more donor money. And they you know, their actions show that they don't care. There's a few principled people in Congress, but they're relatively few. Right. And I think we need to change this. You know that you you look. Congress has like a twenty percent approval rating and an eighty percent reelection rate, and you have to think why is that, right? And the reason is because the system is rigged, right? You're only getting two choices every time, right? And and so you're not going to choose the other side, and it's not like they're running people against their own party. You're, there's never like five Democrats or five Republicans running for Congress. Whoever is the person that's in there as the incumbent. They never get challenged, right? So I'm a big fan of term limits. I want to get all these corrupt career politicians yeah. out. Politicians, like I went to I went to Independence Hall one year and I was taking a tour of Independence Hall in the first Congress. And the woman that giving the tour said, look, the people that were here, the first 30 people that were here, they all had jobs and they came here for a few months and then they went back home because this was a service position, Right. Congress is a service position. It's not a career. And we need to get back to that principle because they work for us. Right. And that's not how it's working right now. Yeah, absolutely. And if you provide no incentive for them to change, yeah. you keep voting for them no matter what. And they know you're going to keep voting for them no matter what. Yep. What's the incentive to change? Why would they? You're going to keep doing it. Why would they change the system that's working for them? Uh, yep. Now, we only have a couple minutes yeah. left. But I want to give you an opportunity to say, like, you know, what? Let's say hypothetically you, you, you do well, you make an impact. What what is the, the best hopeful outcome that you can see at the end of the 24, 2024 election? What, what's... Yeah. Well, I'd, I'd like to win a couple electoral votes. I think that would be amazing. And I'd like, you know, how I found that I was a libertarian was I took a quiz, an online political quiz, and it said I was a libertarian. I never felt like I belonged to any party. And I was like, oh, my goodness, this is the thing. And And then I was like, what's a libertarian? I had voted for Ron Paul, but I didn't realize he was a libertarian, right? And so I literally had to Google what is a libertarian. And after I Googled it and I started reading about it, I was like, oh my goodness, this is me. This is who I am. So if I a victory for me would be every American would Google what is a libertarian, check it out, and see if it applies to you. And if it does, join up and let's push this movement forward for a freer America, a less authoritarian America. Only you know how to live your life way better than anybody else. And the government should not be trying to run your life. They try to micromanage everything about your life. And I just want to live free with the least amount of government intrusion in my life as possible. And that to me is what a libertarian is. All right, right on. All right, Lars. Lars Mapsa, who's the libertarian, one of the libertarian candidates trying to get the libertarian party nomination for president. Uh, Lars, uh, 30 seconds. Uh, where can people find you? Learn more about your campaign. Yep. Lars24.com. Uh, on, on Facebook, I'm Lars for President, and on Twitter, I'm Libertarian Lars. All right, right on. All right, Lars Mapset, again, a Libertarian candidate seeking the Libertarian Party nomination for President. Thank you so much for joining us for this part of the Thank show. Thank you. Thank you. All right. All right, folks, we're out for this segment on WSL. We'll be back in just a few minutes here on A Free Solution. Talk to you soon.
free solution. Welcome back to A Free Solution. I'm Kevin Wilson yesterday, joined by Tim, the Freedom Baron O'Connor. I'm here, and hopefully you guys can hear me a little better, because right now I can definitely hear you better, Kevin. I had a backup plan. We're, we're, we're back at it. The show yeah, must go on, Kevin. That's right. No, we, we, just, we just roll with it. We adapt. That's, that's what we do. Um, so we had Lars on, and you can check him out if you're interested. We, we, you know, maybe we'll have some other Libertarian candidates on, too. We, but back at... Back in the day of, of Radio Free New York, too, we also had all the Libertarian candidates on, all of them, good, bad, and ugly. They, they were all they were all there. Um, and, uh, yeah, so we'll, we'll, we're open to it. We'll, we even have the Democrat and Republican. If Donald Trump and Joe Biden want to go on our show, we'll interview them. We'll give them 20 minutes, maybe. I, I mean, okay. Yeah, we would do it. Not yeah. ten. Come on, Tim. Tim, guys. you know you would. You know you would. Yeah, if we would, we had ten minutes right. to talk to Joe Biden, like we'd take it. And we would. Uh, it would be hilarious. The questions would be very uncomfortable for him. I must. I must say. Yeah, no, he's the president. He gets extra scrutiny. Like people with power get extra scrutiny. That's that's what they need. That's what they deserve. Uh, and he's certainly given us plenty of reasons to ask him tough questions. So. <laughs> that's for sure, brother. That's for uh, sure. So anyway, yeah, we we did want to to pivot back to a a local issue. Just a, a couple of different things, few different things coming up on the on the local level. Um, I I did I did have another marijuana story for New York State, but like we won't we won't do it yet because we've done like two weeks in a row. We're we really haven't. <laughs> People are going to get bored of our little our campaign for oh, marijuana. Oh, the libertarians are talking about marijuana again and why they're mad that THC seltzers are banned. All right, but anyway, no, we're not talking about that. We're talking about car thefts in Rochester because I was shocked. I knew, I knew the car theft situation was bad, but I was shocked that Rochester, New York was the number one in the nation for the percentage increase in car thefts at a whopping 355%. 355%. That is bonkers. And, and, and it's so bonkers in part because it's so much higher than anywhere else. Number two was Cincinnati, Ohio. Number three, Buffalo, New York. Number four, Chicago, Illinois. Uh, those 162, 135, 130. So still big increase. Still like more than double. Sure. But but Rochester, three hundred and fifty-five percent. Cincinnati, Ohio is one sixty-two. Is the next closest. Kevin, let me help my conservative friends out right now and say it's because of bail reform. What do you think? You think is so? that possible? I don't know. Like, I, arguably, there is a, a, a point here that could be made that the police have no authority to hold these kids, and so they're they're back out on the streets doing it over and over and over again. So, a couple interesting things here, right? So so one is. The problem of car car thefts generally is not specific to New York State. Now, Rochester and Buffalo are like one and three. And it's weird, like, again, Rochester being a relatively small city, like the, the increase doesn't have to be that big for it to look like outsized. But still, like, it's not just states with bail reform. It's it's a lot of other places, too. Right. Yeah. And, and same with like the level of violence and stuff like actually violence, uh, the number of uh, homicides went way down. We're back down to like 2018 levels again in That's Rochester. Good. That's re- actually really good. good news, right? That's fantastic. Yeah, because they, they were they were up. It was, it was really bad. Um, now, again, still not a great year, 
by any means, uh, but uh, doing a lot better than we were the last few years in terms of violence in Rochester. So I don't know that bail reform explains the whole thing, right? Because right. there's, there's two problems with it. One is that, like, you know, there there are some ways to to hold some people and to bring restrictions on some people. And I, I know that that's the, I can go over some statistics about, like, how many people are going out and doing other crimes. Most people who are caught for crimes in our released aren't going out and committing other crimes. It's like, like mm-hmm. 10 to That's 20% true. of people, right? It's not, it's not a lot. Like most people aren't going out and do that. Right. A lot of those yeah. people who are accused of crimes are also being released in it without not released, but they are having their charges dropped. Right. Okay. Right. So were they innocent? Were, would it have been better for them to be held in jail for six months and then to have the charges dropped anyway? No, no I don't think so. No, no I agree um, with you there. Like the, the only thing, and I've said this repeatedly, the only thing I'll give conservatives is for like, sometimes there are a handful of people and, and a lot of the theft in Rochester is driven by really a very small percentage of the population. There's a few people who are doing like one thing and they're screwing around or they're being dumb kids and like endangering themselves and others. And then they don't ever do anything again. And then there's a handful of kids who are doing like a lot of them, a disproportionate number of crime in Rochester. There should be some mechanism for the type of person who's in there four, five, six, seven times. Okay, there's only so many times you can like get caught and, and be fairly credibly accused of committing this crime before there needs to be some sort of tougher intervention in in preventing you from hurting people. Because like I say, again, it's a thing like everyone in Rochester who has a, a Kia or a Hyundai right now is putting the the wheel locks on there. I had a friend who was in from out of town who didn't know about everyone stealing cars was given a Kia as a rental and it was stolen within hours. <laughs> well, that's what I was actually going to ask you about. Like if we had real statistics, do you think that maybe Rochester's the area where these kids understand that Kias and Hyundais can actually be hacked into and started with your phone unless you get the corrective uh, software updates? Like it's maybe yeah, Rochester. Like, yeah, that, like, that's, that's what I'm wondering. Is it like, okay, are the people of Rochester just not updating the cars? Is it that are the, the, the youth are more tech savvy here. That's <laughs> what I'm saying. That's I'm giving them credit. Like, we're, we're, like the, the kids here money. know how to use the phones to be able to hack the, the cars more effectively. Like, like, it, it, like it's, it's such a weird outlier. Like it's such a big outlier from the rest of the country. Like, what on earth is different about Rochester? Like I, my city councilwoman's like, Oh, we're just underfunding youth programs. I'm like, okay. But like, we're still funding them a lot. And like other cities, it doesn't explain it because other cities have different levels of funding too. There's no, what the weird part is, is like, I don't know what the variable is that makes Rochester different. Like, is it bail reform? Well, you know, we're seeing other states without bail reform having similar problems. Other blue cities and and, and red cities for that matter, having this problem too. Big increases in car thefts. And there's variation in funding for youth violence intervention programs across cities. And they're still seeing this problem, whether they're well-funded or not funded at all, they're still seeing this problem. So what's the variable? And Tim, you might be right. Maybe the Rochester kids are nerds. Like maybe, yeah, maybe we're that's nerds, it. tech savvy nerds who decide to steal cars. Um, I, it's weird because when we play around with statistics, we got it. We, it's, it's hard to get to the real thing. Like, this is astronomically out of line with the rest of the country, though, right? So, what what percentage of that would be attributable to bail reform? Like, it's it's maybe. I mean, maybe it's maybe it's part of it, right? And again, maybe it's, <laughs> right. No, sorry, like, if you if you're getting caught as a 16 year old, and and some of them feel like they can do this a bunch of times while they're awaiting 
their trial and they will do it six, seven, eight times, whatever, you know, that's, there's probably some of that. And, and I admittedly need to dig a little bit more. I don't know that that's the case for everyone, but like, right. I do need to dig into that. Cause I think like some kids like they're or whoever, not, they don't even have to be kids. Cause sometimes they're, they're older, they're adults who are doing this stuff. Like they're, you know, sometimes committing other crimes with these things too. Uh, some of them aren't getting caught. Um, and which is, a whole other thing, it, the, the, which they'll blame on defunding the police, which the, Rochester sort of did, but not really. Um, right. They, they they just changed the funding streams. And look, so arguably, like, could it be, oh, let's see, besides the tech savvy thing, what else could we get to? I, I'm very willing, Kevin, as always, to blame the government response to COVID as this long-term backlash that we destroyed some young people's lives and, and a couple of years of their schooling changed their goal structure, and now they're out stealing cars. Like, I, I'm, I'm comfortable Could with be. that, I mean, that it, Well, Rochester, you know? in, in particular, we have, like, a, a school system that is uh, – challenge let's call it challenge yeah, it, it's, you know, broken, it's, it's, probably, it's bad right? it's, it's totally broken yeah like it's it's, it's a bad system you know it's, again it's tough uh covid made things even tougher and then we've talked about on the show too like how there's not a lot of places where like young people can just hang out too sure uh, there's, there's no like third place for you know teenagers to be able to go unless you like either pay money or you're accompanied by adult like there's no no place for people to be able to hang out in semi-supervised environments everything is like restricted um right. and that that might have something to do with it like we uh um, i could see that know. being a big part of it like that kind of an oppressive structure governing structure and then they failed so completely with covid that the kids are are I'm assuming it's young people. I'm making a lot of assumptions in my my yeah. theory here, and that, that probably maybe are fair, maybe aren't fair. But I'm I feel completely comfortable with them to, because I get uh, to blame. Maybe, the maybe there's a rash it. of like 47 year olds like uh, stealing these kids too, and I just don't know about it. We got. I tell you what, I'm, I mean, at, at 56, I have no idea how to hack into a car with my <laughs> cell phone. Like I've got no idea how to do that. So I'm going. Aren't I'm you getting... on TikTok, Tim? Come on, I thought that's I where that you learned about it. <laughs> Well, I could have learned about it, but I didn't actually Google or TikTok that. Like I was, you know, arguing with people over politics. That's what I do. <laughs> the algorithm didn't bring you how to Yeah, that's yeah. No, you really no. missed out there, Tim. Um, yeah, yes, I feel bad now. <laughs> uh, so um, no, so we got. Uh, we got that issue. Now. We we got like five minutes left. I'm going to quickly touch on like another Rochester issue. Now I'll share a link to this report too. The, the thing about the dogs, there's, there's, yeah. A, yeah, there's a report is in WXXI and it was, it was written by um, uh, Gino Finelli and it, it, it talks about the number of uh, dogs that have been killed by police in, in Rochester. And it, it's a lot. It's, you know, like dozens yeah. of dogs. Um, and, and, and you, you hear some of these stories of like, you'll just be like, well, uh, the officer walked into a yard and a dog ran up to him and he shot the dog. And like, that's that's the whole story. Like the dog could be friendly. The dog could have just been like, hey, who's in my yard now? And the police officer could just say like, oh, he's coming right for me and kills the dog. And then there's no accountability. Nothing. Not at all. No discipline. No. Sometimes there ends up being a settlement. But it's not like the police officer pays that. It's, it's No. The I, I pay that. Yeah. 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 You know, we, we 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 collectively, the citizens of Rochester, pay when police officers shoot dogs. It's, I mean, so some of this, like it's it's like like just the the level of like disrespect shown to families. The you know, like it, like imagine like 
trying to even if you're 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 a pro police even if you you think police can do no wrong imagine trying to get your child to trust a police officer after seeing a police officer shoot your friendly dog in front of them and look i think it's important that the only guys that are going to take this issue on the way that it needs to be taken on are guys like me and you like kind of fringe kind of libertarian we want to talk about um fixing qualified immunity because uh guys if we fix qualified immunity the, the the dog death rate will go down. Like police overreact to the presence of dogs. I've you see anybody that wants to check out videos on TikTok or Twitter or anything like that can see where police are very afraid of dogs. And I, honestly, I think with it that it's something yeah. that if we eliminated qualified immunity, they would have to be kind of a little bit more cautious about how they deal with this. So one I read, one of the one of the ones I read, the guy barges through the fence to talk to a lady about her calling about a stray dog earlier in the day and her dog kind of went at the guy or walked towards him or barked once. And yep. unfortunately right in front of the granddaughter, right? Like the, the yeah, dog. I think that was on the Rochester story. But, yeah. That's uh, in the, yeah. Yeah. That's where I pulled it from. It was horrible, man. Yeah. No, just, just, just awful. Right. Like getting call, calling, like thinking you're, you're going to like get some help with this other dog and, uh, and then having that happen to your family is just absolutely awful. Um, and th- there's no excuse for it. Again, there's no excuse for like the cowardice shown by a police officer to do that. And I'm sorry if you're, you're so startled by like a dog running up to you and, and, and you can read in the story, there's 60 dogs shot, 22 of them died. Like it wasn't in all the cases, only in a handful of cases did the dog actually like bite either someone else or attempt to bite the police officer. And a lot of them like they, they, that did not happen. They, they, they shot first and, and dealt with frankly the lack of consequences later and there's, there's a couple ways to deal with it right there's you know there's the, the qualified immunity thing there's the insurance thing that we talk about frequently if you if officers are required to hold individual insurance policies that can be part of it mm-hmm. uh, and, and there are solutions what, what's frustrating is like in rochester like there's a humane law enforcement that exists as part of our nonprofit area lollipop farm that that has tried to train the police department on how to like understand like dog behavior and dog signs and how to like approach these situations a little bit more effectively but unfortunately it's still a serious problem where dogs get killed when these specialized actual police officers from a local uh the dog shelter aren't the ones to respond to these situations and and the guys that are trained to deal with dogs don't end up shooting dogs very often right they just take them into custody basically take them into custody Right. Yeah. No, they, they know how to like handle it. Okay. okay yeah. This is a dangerous dog. Here's how I handle this effectively. Here's how I keep myself safe and people around me safe. And it, because they, they, they understand the situation, they know what they're getting into. They know how to deal with a dog. And, and the priority is to both keep themselves safe and to make sure that that dog lives through the encounter. So like yeah. if that dog yeah. is scared or hurt or confused, which is sometimes the case, right? Like you sure. can isolate the dog and, and hopefully, you know, get the situation resolved without, someone's family pet dying yeah so i guess i'd suggest people read the article because there's certain pieces of it that i'm not sure are fit for us to discuss like how the officer ended up leaving the day that he shot that lady's dog and and what they left her with i just think that people should pay attention to this stuff and i think it's an important dynamic that that it i think it's an easy fix too kevin i don't know that we have to go all the way to getting rid of qualified immunity to, to start lowering the death toll, you know, on, on we don't have to, pets. I mean, we should anyway, but we don't right. Have to. Right. No, it would be good. Uh, but good no, I, get... Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, on that note though, we are out of time for this segment. Thanks again for joining us here on a free solution. We'll be back. Yeah.
minutes. Talk to you soon. That was that article. That article hurt my soul a little bit. You know, I was like, dude. That's it. Yeah, I, I shared, folks. I shared the link uh, on all the channels in here. You can check it out. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a. And if you're listening on the podcast, you'll just have to go follow one of our pages. If you're not already, you should be following all of them, every single one, every <laughs> single one of them. Um, and 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 check out the article. Yeah, it's it's a it's a rough read. It's tough. Um, but um. You know, really narrows in on the uh, the topic specific to one city and the policies that the city has like tried to do, and and unfortunately the lack of accountability for the officers who have killed dogs, and in a situation that like again, I know that there there's some justified situations. I get that. I'm not naive. But sure. And like a lot of them are. Uh, like it's not even close and and, and you'll see it's, it's not just specific to russia it's, it's all over right 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 no it's look we're pragmatic man we accept that police officers should maintain themselves in a safe fashion we 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 understand that we we do understand i think we both kind of understand that we need to have police officers like there's no no here to there by eliminating police officers it's absolutely not what we want is a better system we want um more training and when it gets applied to humans too guys i want them to be able to diffuse situations because there's ways to do it that that don't always resort to getting control of the situation that second but look also want them to know when they've got to be safe like it's it's a kind of a double-edged sword there yeah i know i know there's a fine line that they're gonna have to walk sometimes probably yeah no it's tough it's just that like again in, in situations where like they've clearly made the wrong decision where it's it's a friendly family dog like you know i, I think yeah. about that all the time like i said my my dog used to work in an office with you know humane law enforcement he associates police officers with treats when he sees police officers he Ooh, wants to run up wow. excitedly because he associates them with people who give him treats and he's a big old lab right and he, yeah he's he's uh oh, yeah he's a, yeah. a a lab great dane mix like and he's oh, friendly huge. absolutely friendly but like a skittish police officer who doesn't know who just sees a a, a big black dog coming at him you know, yeah. I don't know how they're going to react. And I, I hope they have the training to like recognize my dog as like friendly and excited to see them and not like aggressive. Right. And a threat to their safety, right? Yeah. Their personal safety, which, yeah, I get it, man. We want them to be aware of their personal safety. Um, we do, but we also want them to be aware that not every dog is their enemy, you know? And I'm yeah. sure they already do understand that. I think we're. Yeah. No, most people do on it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah I, I get it. And like I said, I, I don't think. Like I know there's memes about it, but I, I really don't think like police officers wake up in the morning like most of them anyway. Gonna go like hurt a dog today? Like no, that's not that. Right, like, exactly. A lot of them are, I'm sure, absolutely devastated when they've made the wrong decision. But also like wrong decisions require accountability. Sorry, like it it is. Yeah, yeah, that's fair, Kevin. I think that's fair. So, anyway, we we should probably get on to the last segment. Head Let's over to it. that. Uh, we'll, we'll head back at, at 51. We'll talk about talk about some tariffs. Is that what we're talking about? I'm calling it food tyranny, Kevin, to be honest with you. I mean, this is literally – we have two two specific instances. One's a big one where we get to lecture everybody on the, the evils of tariffs. But then we have another one, too, where, that we can talk about a little bit, too. Like, we've got two subjects to get into this last segment that deal with food tyranny and the government – making our food simply more expensive. The gods of scarcity strike once again. All right. Well, you know, love talking about those things. 
We'll get back. A free solution. Welcome back to A Free Solution. I'm Kevin Wilson today, joined by Tim the Freedom Marion O'Connor. I'm here, Kevin, and we get to right now I get to lecture everybody on one of my favorite subjects in that the government has been implementing artificial scarcity on us for decades, okay? And that right now, up against Joe Biden imposing tariffs on steel. And so why do I why am I freaking out about that? A lot of people are gonna be like, well, that's protecting American jobs, and he's doing it to protect a little steel mill in Ohio, and yada yada yada. Let me tell you what happens. The bottom line, your food is gonna get more expensive. Kevin, did you check out that article I sent you on this? I sure did, and we'll we'll post a link to the article that Tim is talking about in the it's a uh, big one, man. It's got these artificial scarcity that's imposed on us, making our food more expensive through tariffs. These things drive me nuts. These things punish poor people, Kevin, and nobody seems to understand that except for me and you. <laughs> that's right. Well, and, and the folks in the article, I, I suppose. True. Right. Fair enough. The, the folks that reason who, you know, got me mad last week because they were mean to RFK, but probably he kind of deserved it, so I've forgiven them. And here we are propping them up again, you know, like it's fair. It's cool. Yeah, we'll give them some, um, but a shout out. But yeah, let, let's talk about the the specific ways in which it's gonna the the hurts poor people too. Like and and because you'd say like, okay, well, oh, we're we're gonna save three jobs at a factory in Ohio or something, right? Okay, cool. We've okay. we've saved three jobs, and that's the campaign speech. That's the stump speech. What are the other ripple effects of maybe making steel more expensive in the United States? Well, in this situation, in this very specific situation, the type of steel that they're talking about is readily converted to canned food, Kevin. Okay, so what we save three jobs or five jobs in Ohio, but we starve an old person or we, we limit an old person's ability to travel and interact with their grandkids. We make their lives more expensive. Same for a poor person, same for somebody trying to get on their feet. Like when we make food more expensive, like it drives me nuts and that's what we're doing with this tariff yeah that's what i end up doing and it's like okay like okay it makes it a little bit more expensive but it's it's everything in combination too because what ends up happening is it doesn't just like make the cans expensive it'll make the production process more expensive it makes equipment more expensive it makes um you know in some situations you know it ends up making like the entire like chain like more expensive and that's in addition to all of the other stuff that's happening, right, with with uh, various inflations, with various taxes, with various regulations, restrictions on importing, like lower cost goods from overseas and everything else that ends up going into like the cost of food, driving it up makes it difficult, if not impossible, for someone to be able to survive uh, on their own, to survive independently. And even right. with government assistance it ends up being a challenge. Yeah, sure. And this is one of those raw materials of canned food production, right? So, like, I think what you were pointing at there is that it will get marked up tax, marked up tax, marked up tax all yeah. the way along the line. So what could be a millipenny of a, 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 a tariff is going to have a substantial impact on somebody's bottom line when they, if, if they're living off of canned food or they use a little bit of canned food. It's going to have a – it's going to kill my corned beef and hash, Kevin. Like, it's going right. to raise the price, like – I, don't I know. do love I do love corned beef hash. Uh, like, does it, man? man like on. I know it looks like dog food, but it smells like you too a little bit. But does, once you cook it, it up, put some pepper and salt on it, bro. Oh, it's I'm great. You. No, it's not like a 
my one of my favorite. That's usually my go-to at diner breakfast. Now, guys, I know ninety percent of the time it's just coming out of a big can. Just, oh, just yeah. they, they're scooping it out of a giant can. I I know what yeah. it is: corned yeah. beef and hash and eggs. Okay, totally I'll get the whole, like yeah. Some places they have the homemade stuff. It's nice. It's a fancy treat. Cool. Uh, everything else I can. It's fine. It's five bucks. It's at a diner. It's it's dog food. It's delicious. Oh God, it's. I mean, and if they if they cook it just right, like they heat it right up, or they get it a little bit crusty and crispy. Oh yeah, no, it's oh, like man, they, they put bro. it on the griddle and they get like the like the the thick layer of like crusty on both sides. Maybe a little little bacon grease slides its way in there. I'm just saying, there you go. You know, like that's a winner. Good stuff. Now that's all right. Yeah, if you're a diner who can do that, like, you you got my heart. Yeah. So. Again, like this, this thing is where the these are things where the government is directly imposing scarcity on us. And that's one of the things that people are afraid of. That's one of the tools that ends up keeping us fighting is that we feel threatened constantly and tariffs that don't allow for competitive advantages like China can make the steel cheaper for camp food. Uh, like why we don't. So it ties into everything, right? Like, we don't want to be an enemy of China. We want to trade with the people of China. Like, we want the people of China to benefit from trading with us. We want to have value to them, and we want them to have value to us. Like, that's how the world could get better, guys. That's one of the ways we could heal, you know? So it's, like, weirdly emotional issue for me, too, you know? Well, it's what it is. Like, every time we we add tariffs, it ends up being, like – it people present it as like a tax on like you know overseas goods and leveling the playing field or whatever. No, it's a, it's a tax on us. That's what it is. And it's same with like the other types of steel tariffs too that end up making like washing machines more expensive, right? Increase Correct. the price of those. Like it's just oh now suddenly to like be able to buy your first home and buy your first appliances, it gets that much harder. Like and it's. I'm saying it's not any one thing. It's everything one on top of the other, and it, and and the goods end up being more expensive. Like if if Americans are going to be able to produce like high quality steel, let them produce high quality steel. Manufacturers will buy it, but let let us compete on the world market for this stuff. Because when you end up creating these barriers, it ends up making it more difficult for American manufacturing to survive. For the people, not the steel mills themselves, but for all the other manufacturing processes, like I said, the appliance manufacturers or the, the can manufacturers who rely on being able to get lower cost products from overseas to be able to make the margins, to be able to sell to the type of people who can afford their product. It has yeah. ripple effects down the line. So now marginally, if, if people buy 3% fewer washers, that means that some of those factories might close. Like you don't, you don't see that effect. You don't think about that effect. I mean, it's, yeah. it's like broken windows fallacy, but applied to, you know, the tariff situation, right? Like, oh, you see like, oh, it's saved. You, you, you paid the glass manufacturer. Oh yeah. You, you, you saved the steel factory. But what about all the other stuff that didn't happen because you intervened because you made stuff artificially more expensive? What, what about the people that don't get a, can't afford a washing machine and have to keep right. going and spending hours at a um, laundromat? Like the, one of the biggest improvements of my adult life was going from having to use a laundromat regularly to having my own equipment in my house. And if there's, there's been, yeah, there's been times in my life where $50 could make that difference, right? Like I couldn't just go buy a new washer. I had to buy a used washer and make sure it worked and fix it. So like, as these things get more expensive, there are going to be people who are forced into going to laundromat. There are going to be people who are forced to wash their clothes less. Like it's a real, like, yeah, being a quality problem. 
Yeah, it's a quality of life issue that you don't necessarily see because you don't think about that person who like was right on the bubble of being able to buy a washer or not buy a washer, right? Or the person who's on the bubble of being able to afford a meal or not afford a meal. Like we don't always think about like the down the line effects of this type of stuff, but it still matters that the unseen in the situation still matters. Right. Exactly. And so how are we doing on time? Because like we could well, believe this a little bit more, but no, we, we got uh, six minutes left. Six All right, and so half minutes left. First of all, as, as I've regularly talked about, I think it's okay. Like this subject, what I'm about to bring up is not um, that far removed from this kind of concept of tariffs. Local agricultural farmers, the, the um, what what's the name of the, the farmer advocacy group? It's slipping my mind right now. Uh, but basically what happens is they have to pay these checkoff companies that come up with creative advertising to sell U.S. agricultural goods. And this is the week where all the lobbyists from these programs are in Washington, D.C., trying to buy more regulations like, you know, your milk mustache deal and all of those things. It, this is the week. And so my my one of the guys that has always impressed me is Thomas Massey, and he's trying to make his big stink about it on Twitter. What do you think about that, Kevin? We're one more artificial scarcity kind of thing. One more layer of expense for our farmers, which translates into less affordable food for the American people. Yeah, sure. And let, let's read uh, Thomas Massey's tweet, the one that you're referencing. He says, quote, uh, one reason grocery bills high compulsory checkoff programs. Farmers are forced by Congress to pay money to in industry governed boards whose employees can earn as much as a million dollars a year. Uh, fearing a form of these programs, the cronies are lobbying hard this week. So that's what he's talking about um, in this specific quote from Thomas Massey. And yeah, no, I mean, it's you, you add in these other things like, OK, now you got to pay a little bit to like, you know, pay to advertise your program is it really necessary do we need to do these things no uh it's a special interest group um that is just able to collect and redistribute money is one of those programs where it's it's in the grand scheme of things like not a lot it's it's not a lot of money in the grand scheme of things but it's right it but it's very important to the people who are involved in it to the people who are benefiting from these programs so that's how it stays and, and again that one program all these programs they add up uh, like people always use the example of like sugar subsidies for that. Like how much are we subsidize? How much you are you personally, Tim, paying for sugar subsidies a year? It's like a penny, right? Right. A penny. But, but it, yeah, go ahead. But it adds it. up. Right. You know, it's same thing. And with these programs, that's how it is. It's like, all right, like collectively, are we paying all that much for it? No, but it adds up. It makes our food a little bit more expensive. It mandates costs for farmers. It mandates costs for us. And the, but the people who are involved, they, they care about it quite a bit. And so they will fight tooth and nail to keep these programs going. And that's why the lobbying hard this week is for that very reason. Yeah, they're basically, and what's lobbying, guys? I think we all know what lobbying is. They're literally buying political favor. They're buying access to the budgetary process. They're, they're lobbying, like, look, I get the need. It's a free speech issue, but also it's it's very corrupt, right? Like, I'm not the only one that know, thinks that. I can't be the only one that thinks that. And when it's adding, like, it's adding to the scarcity of food adding to the expense of food is adding to the scarcity of food more people less people can afford it that's it does that make sense like it, it, it does make sense so what, um, what's our solution like thomas massey does all this good stuff uh advocating for a better a better program when it comes to labeling food advocating for a better program when it comes to 
with knowing where our food is coming from, um, advocating for more local availability of food to, to, to go through the USDA process faster and easier. And, and people like kind of crap all over them. And I don't understand it. Well, it's because if the FDA were slightly less, you know, imposing, if it were slightly less draconian, then maybe our food might possibly be somewhat unsafe. That's that's the, uh, the argument, even if they don't fully understand the ways in which like the government, uh, the, the FDA, the agricultural systems like are actually intervening to maybe not really be all that significant of a difference maker in terms of food safety. Well, they're, they're not a difference maker. One of the things they do is set minimum standards for food so that a place like McDonald's can get away with putting sawdust. And guess that you find the articles. You decide whether they're true or not. Like, I'm not going to say what I know that McDonald's puts in. That was like Taco Bell doing that or something. No, that doesn't matter what Taco Bell does it, Kevin. That's different. That's different. different. It doesn't matter what they put in their ground. It's still tasty. It's It's fine. Because it's It's delicious. delicious anyway. Yeah, it's a different story, but like says someone who ate like Taco Bell like last week. (laughs) So, so like FDA does some minimum standard stuff that that you know big restaurant chains take advantage of to lower their quality of their product and still charge you the same amount of money or even more. Right. So mm-hmm. that's a reality and it's, it's an unfortunate reality, but I, I do forgive Taco Bell for it on some yeah. level. <laughs> right. As we all do, you say like, ah, oh, the man, in theory, that's kind of great. I must still keep eating it. Oh yeah. No, no, Taco Bell's different. McDonald's on the other hand, it's like, I don't know. Their advertising's bad. I think their food isn't that good. Taco Bell's got something else to it, though, you know? <laughs> Taco Bell, anti-McDonald's. All right. I, I decide I'm fine with McDonald's. I, I don't really have anything negative to say about them. Um, but oh, your, your kid's going to love McDonald's for a couple of years, bro. The kids love it. They just enjoy the whole the whole little package, the Happy Meal package. It's, and it's okay. It's still just minimum minimal quality for what you're you're paying money fine. for. You know? You, know, you, you know what McDonald's offers? And it's a shame they're not on the thru anymore. Like, relatively consistent food like listen True. i know it's not great it's it's True. not it's not stellar but i know mcdonald's is usually going to taste roughly the same no matter where i go it's like ah here's here's some mediocre fuel to shove into my body and yep, absolutely you know, yeah a, a cheeseburger in rochester is going to taste almost exactly the same as a cheeseburger in oniana from mcdonald's and it's really the same with taco bell that is one of the the, the one of their powerhouses is consistency right yeah no so but i mean but we are starting to run out of time, and and I was going to bring up a, a fun story about uh, obnoxious Twitter leftists and bananas because we, we'll continue the food theme. Um, <laughs> but but we're out of time on the radio show. So if you're listening on the radio show, you're going to have to subscribe to the podcast or follow our pages, listen to our, our show. Join us for the live show if you can, but of course the, the video is still going to be here afterwards. Um, but find us afterwards. We have an extended program. Thanks again for joining us here on WYSL for a free solution. We are out for the evening on WYSL. Take care. All right. No, the the, the, the banana story. There's like, it's it's funny because like I... I, I can tell sometimes that you and I run in like somewhat different libertarian circles. Oh yeah, definitely. I, mine, mine are the kind of uh, look. My my guys are the conservative guys that realize that the conservatives got no use for them, and they don't really hate people, but also they kind of hate a lot of certain pieces of the government that I I'm very sympathetic to. So th- those yeah. are my bros on Twitter for sure. And I I get like uh, 
like Jared Polis libertarian Twitter. It's, yeah, you get a little bit of the reason, guys. You know the hardcore yeah, reason. And, yeah, and I have a, like I have a lot of respect for the reason guys. Um, at the Cato guys, I did a show with Colin Grayball. He was great. He made great points. It was all like there's a certain amount of the belt, beltway type libertarians that occasionally when it comes down to like social justice warrior issues and stuff like that, that, that my conservative bros kind of get annoyed with. And I understand that. I, you know, I really yeah. do like guys, if you're out there, share this with the other conservative bro, kind of libertarian friends, give me some more followers. I'm so close to like 5,000. Like I'd love to break over the top of it. If I do break over the top of it, I'm going to pay Elon bucks, eight bucks a month. So I get the blue check. Do that. Get the blue check. Yeah. Then start your subscription. Get paid, yeah. you know. That's get paid, man. People can subscribe to our podcast. It's it's gonna be awesome, you know. Yeah, but huge. Um, it's gonna be huge. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, so speaking of like the Beltway Cato guys, uh, Scott Lincecum is like what I I retweeted this from. Who who's been a guest on who has Radio Free New York at the time, but he's been on the show before too. But he was retweeting like this, just absolutely unhinged leftist like degrowth <laughs> person uh, who I think deleted her Twitter account over this because like neoliberal Good. and like libertarian Twitter were just like all over this. But this is the quote from, <laughs> from this, this Twitter thread that was bonkers it says no one, absolutely no one, not even the most dishonest globe emoji, neoliberal freak buys a banana at Trader Joe's in Calgary in December and marvels next to see at the decadent opulence of modern capitalism. They just dully cross off their list and move on, barely conscious of it. And here's the thing, though. Like, I'm totally the guy who's like, if you think about it, if you think about like, man, it's so cool. You could buy a banana in, ca in Canada any time of year. Yeah. No, in upstate just... New York. Like, it's, it's actually a very cool thing. Like, we used to it not is. be able to get most produce any time of year. You couldn't get any produce in the winter. Yeah. Unless they're stored in kid. someone's basement. Yeah. Back when I was a kid, lettuce was not an option in December, bro. Like, it really wasn't. It took... Probably until I was 16 before I started seeing it in stores. So, like, that's that's real. So, so basically, so the world went after for that or what? Yeah. So, like, I mean, it was part of, like I said, a, a, a totally bonkers thread. Um, but, like, the, the the point that, like, a bunch of the, the neoliberals and the libertarians are, like, actually, like, it is something to marvel at. It is something to think is cool because, like, we do live in a world in which we have like access to a lot of great stuff. Like we've built supply chains despite government intervention, despite the government despite, making it yeah. difficult and expensive to do this stuff, that there's enough demand for this stuff that people figured out a way to do it and still be able to make a profit off of it. And that's, that's pretty cool. And again, if we, we got government out of the way and some of these things, we'd open up even more possibilities, but it's a cool thing that I can get like, pomegranates from turkey when like they're ripe it's a cool thing that i can get bananas from like central america like any time of year it's a cool thing that i'm able to get like produce from like asia uh any time of year and like that's yeah. something that didn't exist like even when i was younger like it just wasn't a thing i couldn't get like strawberries any time of year as a seasonal that's thing true. now i can get it whenever yeah, right no. Just great. One of my kids' favorite snacks. Avocados. Avocados yeah. just weren't a thing. You couldn't get avocados in New York. Like you almost like couldn't 15 get them years ago. Yeah, no, yeah, you almost couldn't get them at all. Much less now they're like a dollar a piece or like yeah, even sometimes you see them under a dollar, right? Like now, now now they're cheap. And and like so the, the point of like this thread actually was was this woman was basically being like no one actually cares all about this stuff. If we go back to living like serfs and like, and I, it sounds like I'm joking, but like literally they're like live like it's the 1200s and drink beer and have sex and hang out and you'll be perfectly happy. Like 
And you'll die when you're 35 and your teeth will yeah. fall out. Like that's kind of like that's where we're going with that. Like, let's not do it that way. Yeah, they're like, you won't miss any of this stuff. Like, really, like uh back in the day, people were perfectly happy without this capitalist like opulence, and you will be too. You'll be happier with less. All right. Well, I could just eat with one knife and I don't need fork and silverware. Like then I save a kid in China from having to work an hour. Like what the heck? I, that doesn't make any sense to me. It's like so abstract kind of thinking. Like obviously she'd be like, all right, you don't need cars. You don't need a boss. You don't need nothing. Just yeah. like grow your own food. Good luck in the winter. Yep, that's exactly it. Sucker. They're like, yeah, we could just, we could just grow most of it on our own. I'm like, no, you can't. You don't know how to, like, you really, you like, you it. have no <laughs> idea how much subsistence farming sucks. Like, it, it is bad. It killed lots of people. You have one bad year and, like, your whole family could die. It sucks. That's how most of humanity lived for most of their lives. I'm super glad we do not live that way anymore. Subsistence farming is brutal. Anybody that's had a garden where it's, like, a little bit bigger than you wanted to actually take care of knows what subsistence farming is like because you got to go to that thing you got to weed that thing and then at the end of the summer the deer decide to get frisky and they go into that thing and they tear it all apart and they eat all of your green beans and they eat some of your cucumbers and then they step on your broccoli and yeah. guys your whole garden gets wrecked man and That's it's cool. just oh could you imagine being counting on that to survive you know yeah it would just be awful yeah, imagine like all the work you've put into that, but like that is all day, every day for like 11, 12 hours a day because that's what you're going to have to do to do that, particularly if you don't have the benefits of like industrial farming techniques and pesticides and machinery that are brought to you by capitalism. Like you really have to work constantly oh to do that. And people don't get that. Though. Oh, like people didn't work a couple months out of the year. I'm like, yeah, because they couldn't. They were just huddling for warmth in their like huts and like hoping their family doesn't die. That's always been one of the things, like, honestly, it's very confusing for me to people that burn wood because it's actually like a part-time job that doesn't pay. So when people yeah. were huddling for wood or huddling for warmth, they were still chasing down wood all winter long to try to keep their freaking house warm. So I'm just saying that keeping warm in the winter always relied on wood and wood is always work to keep your family warm. It like is, it literally is work. I lived with my grandparents for, for two years. A lot of time we'd get like some pre-cut wood, but like, all right, we'd get out with the splitter. We'd like, yeah. okay, we're going to spend like three weekends, like just splitting wood all day. You know? Imagine like, if you didn't have a splitter. That's exactly. A and that's not like easier. We we have the splitter. Like otherwise we could have just been using axes, you know? <laughs> oh man. It's would have been uh, like ripped as a 13 year old if I had just done that. But it'd have been good for you. I think you know, and, and, and also we had we had the, the tractor that we could just like you know toss all the stuff in the back in the trailer in the back of the John Deere and like cart it up to the house. If I had to like lug that back, that would stun. Oh my god. And people are there so that that neo neoliberal, that that crazy kind of near communism advocating for throwing ourselves back. It, is it based on fear of the environment, environmental yeah. catastrophe? Like, yeah, a lot of the, like the, the degrowth yeah. people and like they're, they're like, well, in order for humanity to survive, in order for Earth to survive, we actually have to slow down the economy to the point of like go, returning to simpler times. Like in, in saying like wow. we don't need any of this stuff because like it's bad for the Earth. It's unsustainable. Therefore, we should be content with less. But like it's just crazy, bro. Yeah, no, it's it's yeah. It's, it's, like I, I really I disdain degrowthers and, and it gets worse too like she has a partner thread like well people probably wouldn't accept that so like we'd need a temporary dictatorship of the proletariat in order for uh you know 
the 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 people to accept that like this is their new reality like it's like it's like the the, all their worst fears about like what uh who's that guy klaus schwab klaus schwab she's like living it yeah like she 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 says like if that guy like really is secretly harboring that stuff like i don't know but like She's saying the quiet part out loud, you know. <laughs> She's all in. So, so this guy, Kevin, check this out. Like, maybe before we go, I want to talk about this guy, Tom Winter. He's a candidate for for uh, state office in Montana. Post a tweet. I caught it right before the show started. He's like complaining about somebody flying a a, a private jet from one city in Montana to another city in Montana. And he's like, I hope you, it crashes and you die. And like, this is a guy that wants to get elected to be a political office. And it's because of that. He brings up that it's 97 degrees where he is in Wizzaloo, Montana or whatever. And some private jet flew in and he's like, I, I hope it crashes and you die. And it's like, I hope you don't get elected ever. And I hope this, yeah. this threat uh, yeah, goes badly who, for you. The, the people who like say, awful stuff like that all right man that yeah no that is not great um that it was horrible no. the comments like bashing him were hilarious though i love that yeah, you true. know i'm like i'm like but what if it was john Kerry, bud like then what <laughs> it could have been john Kerry just just city hopping in montana to check out the effects of 97 degree temperatures you know yeah right you know just learning about global warming it's uh yeah that's fine uh no but what i as a libertarian, I, I want to go into like inappropriate stuff said on Twitter. That's that's a can of worms. <laughs> oh, no, we're not going there. Then we're not doing that on this show. It's too late. I don't, we got to do it once in a while. But geez, it, we, we, we've got to point our fingers at these clowns every once in a while. Is what I what I feel, you know. Not like so, that. <laughs> we got well. There better how ways else, to do it. <laughs> how else are people going to know just how much they hate us? <laughs> <laughs> don't don't give him an excuse. I know, I know. Honestly, though, the outrage is the new enrage. Like outrage is the way to, to popularity. So if we outrage someone and they start attacking us, we have won that battle. You haven't actually won though. Like that's that, that's not actually winning. I there there are a bunch of people, I know. Um, you know, I know. I know, libertarian state affiliates specifically who think that you have won because like the right people have attacked you. Yet you haven't. Yeah, are you talking about LPNH? <laughs> I, I, yes. Yes. Oh, God. I, you know, that was funny, too. Maybe we just do talk about that for a second. Because, right. honestly, like, I wasn't, I didn't like exactly what they said. But I would say that your response was the only one that I felt was perfectly rational. And you got, like, one like for it. And I was very disappointed because you nailed the issue perfectly. And I felt like... All sorts of people were criticizing LPNH completely irrationally, completely emotionally, and they missed the whole point. Your your critique, you should be like the libertarian, like Jesse James or something, because your point was perfect. And all the libertarians are missing in one direction. All the other libertarians are missing in another direction. And then Nina Turner garnered a bunch of sympathy, and she worked really hard over the next two days to take every shred of that, that sympathy she garnered and throw it back in everyone's faces. So it was actually kind of beautiful in a way, you know? No. Uh yeah, she she's terrible and like she's again, horrible, like, man. She's uh, horrible. She, not great, like you know no name, like like wouldn't be no like I know like you you like to jump. But she she likes to like make 
people like you mad right and like oh, she's, yeah, she's kind of generating like she's she's generating outrage engagement too like that, that's absolutely what it is. Sure, sure and you know lpnh decided to 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 do that by saying stuff that is uh frankly racist like you know, like bigoted and and yeah but not it's, unlike what she was at advocating right she would enslave all of us if she was king for one day she would enslave all of us to the state for her whims and her wills and her wishes and it, it, so Arguably, yeah, I, that was the point LPNH was trying to make. Was they, so, they they could have made it without being racist? Like they, they did not have to. Absolutely did not have to make the point in that way. Like, um, but because because now like no no one sees that right. Like and that's why I said it's like they they they're you know obtuse and they're alienating in the way that they made their point. And now like most people cannot see that. All they see is like oh those guys are kind of being dicks like that that's all they see out of that situation they don't, they don't get the point they're trying to make about like other than people who are in the tribe who already know the point if you know the point you understood the point they're trying to make if you don't right. know the point you just see that they're kind of being jerks because they they said that the you know she should be picking crops for free and they said basically she should go back to her country of origin Basically yeah. saying go back to Africa, like okay. And now everyone just thinks they're being jerks. And the alien a bunch of people they aren't listening to what they're saying. They're not understanding right. what they're saying. They don't want to try to understand what they're saying. All they see is like they're being jerks. And there are people right. like the Libertarian Party of Louisiana who made like the point in a little bit of a better way. Like, hey, let's talk about like how we could eliminate patents on insulin and like the that actually like, was effort. that was really good. And I kind of bashed them at first, uh, but then I thought about it. If they hadn't offered. Nina Turner's such sympathy, I would have really enjoyed the point that they made. Do you, do you know what I mean? Like, there was a fine line that they crossed with me there, even though their point overall was very impressive. Like, it was really good. Just like your point. You know what I mean? Your point was, like, impressively set and impressively worded. So, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of contrarian and anti-establishment. I'm not sure that, at least if I maintain there, I'll get a lot of laughs yeah. over the next few years. You know? Yeah, it's it's fair. As I listen, I have no like real sympathy. Like, it, like I, I think like Nina Turner end up looking sympathetic because of like the way LPNH approached the situation, rather than like what it should have been, where she looks like a clown because she is her 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 policies, the stuff she said are, are total jokes. They're, they're terrible, and and they they are draconian, authoritarian like policies that are close. They are. You know, it. it, it although I, I will say, like I. This is a whole other show, but like, I, like taxation being compared to slavery, I just don't think it's a good comparison. I used to make that comparison. I, I think yeah. it just doesn't hit with people. I think people don't understand it. They don't it get it. Just, it's yeah, it's a sure. different thing. And like, even even if you you can draw the comparison, I think people, most normal people, people who aren't already like in the libertarian space, like just tune out when you say that stuff. So that brings us back to my common question of, of what is going to make people tune in? Because I like what Lars had to say. I agree with everything Lars had to say today. Like I, he, and I, I get sense that he's not going to go down the work woke wormhole. So I like all of that. And maybe I'm wrong about that, but if he starts lecturing about woke identity politics, I'm going to have a problem with that. And frankly, that's one of the problems I might have with Chase Oliver as it comes down to go time. But like, yeah. If what's what's our goal to outreach? Like, what? How do we? How are we going to fix this issue? And Larry does the best job of offering solutions continually. Um, and like, not to be mean, but did his his campaign this last time around didn't catch fire? You know. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, it's just not what it was, and 
I don't. I don't. I don't have the answer to that. I know, but it's a tough question, and I'm going to keep asking it. And it was one. I just, I'm going to keep asking everybody that question to the best of my ability. You know. Yeah. Because I want an answer. I want it to be better. I want a success story to come out of this. I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Or we could just keep fighting on Twitter or <laughs> that, and laugh. No, I do. Laugh, I mean, I laugh. That's true. Right. All right. Um, but all right. Where's your call tonight? We should once again shout out to thanks to Lars, thanks to you, Kevin, for bearing with me through that slightly disastrous first segment. It was kind of my ears were on fire. I was so embarrassed I couldn't even deal with it. So I got to figure something out how to make sure my internet is hooked up to my good brand new five hundred dollar laptop. <laughs> All right. Well, have a good night, folks. Take care. A free solution.